Welcome to our study on the book of James. You know, last week we saw how to turn our trials into triumphs. Well, today, as we look at James chapter 1, verses 13 to 18, James is going to tell us how to handle temptations. So let's begin by reading James chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. We see here that James is being very emphatic, isn't he? That we are not to say that God has tempted us, and that God himself cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So ladies, what is the difference between trials and temptations? Well, it is said that trials are being sent to bring the best out of us, right? Whereas temptations come from Satan, using the world and the flesh to bring out the worst in us. Now, as we saw last week, trials come in many forms, right? From financial problems, health issues, moral issues, accidents, loss of loved ones, and more. And they can be small trials, to very huge, life-changing trials. Whereas temptations are from Satan, where he encourages us through our sin nature to doubt God and turn away from him. In fact, if we are not careful, the testing may become a temptation. Remember, Satan is the master of deception. For instance, You know, when you start to complain and doubt God's love and purpose in the midst of a trial, Satan is going to use this as an opportunity to steer us away from God. Oh, he will supply an easy way out of a very difficult situation, which is actually steering us away from glorifying God. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, They soon turned trials into temptations, didn't they? Instead of trusting God to meet their need, they ended up grumbling and complaining. Now remember, this test that they were going through was to prove to them that God will supply their needs so that when they got to the promised land where everything was plentiful, they would remember it is God who is meeting their needs. So it is a very important lesson to learn and to remember. Ladies, it is so crucial for us to remember always that God tests people for good. He does not tempt people for evil. Well, does this mean that God is not in control of what Satan tempts us with? Absolutely not. Even during the temptation, we can see God's sovereignty in permitting Satan to tempt us, right? In order to refine our faith. And help us to grow in our dependence of Christ. Remember, Job, God allowed Satan to tempt Job, didn't he? We see in Job 1.1 that it states that Job was a blameless and upright man. One who feared God and shunned evil. But through all these temptations and trials that Job went through, he grew in his faith. Job 42.5 says, I have heard of you. By the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Ladies, when it talks about my eye in the Greek, that means it's my heart. He now has turned his head knowledge 
into experiential knowledge. He sought the wisdom of God. If we recognize temptations, ladies, as flowing from Satan, using our own sin nature and our weaknesses, then we can deal with them by rejecting sin, right? And responding as the new nature in us directs, seeking wisdom from God to understand and grow in our Christian walk. Well, James goes on to say in verse 14, he says, But each one is tempted, and when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. James here showed us that God brings no experience into our lives in order to drag us down. His gifts are always and only good. Now, we may feel temptation, but the problem is in our own inner desires. Unless we deal with our temptations on this basis, our initial desire will grow into sinful acts. And this is a sinful lifestyle. So, we need to see that God and Satan may be working in our lives through the same event, right? Where God is working for our good and Satan is working to tear us down. So what does James say that we need to do to understand if we are to overcome temptation? There are three facts that we must consider. First, in James chapter 1, verses 13 to 16, James will tell us, that we are to consider God's judgment. In verse 17, he tells us we are to consider God's goodness. And then in verse 18, he tells us to consider God's divine nature within us. So let's look at the first fact, God's judgment. And let's read James chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Look there at verse 16. Ladies, it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James is pleading with these Christian Jews to think about God's judgment when those temptations come to take the easy way out. He reminds them that God does not tempt anyone in verse 13 and that they are to know that if they are being tempted, it is not of God. He warns them to look ahead and see where sin ends. Now, a lot of times we think of sin as a single act, but God sees it as a process. So we see in these verses four stages of the process of sin. There is desire, deception, disobedience, and death. Let's continue and look at the first one, desire. Now, the normal desires of life were given to us by God, and in and of themselves are not sinful. For example, you desire food or drink when you're hungry or thirsty, right? Well, that is not a sin, but it's how you handle it. Gluttony 
is a sin. It is when we want to satisfy these desires in ways outside of God's will that we get into trouble, right? My husband will tell you of a time in his life that he had to choose to follow God and not his desires. He was into whitewater rafting. He had his own boat, and he would go down rivers with groups, and he would lead groups down the rivers himself. He became so involved that it actually started taking him away from God. Now, whitewater rafting in and of itself is not a sin, right? But when it reached a point that it was absorbing his time and took him away from church and away from God, then the Holy Spirit was warning him that his love for rafting was going too far, that he had to refocus his priorities. You see, he was learning all about the rivers, everything that he could. It became more and more where, because he was a good boatman, that these companies wanted to use him. In fact, when asked to go on this particular trip, it was with one of the largest rafting companies in the world. And he was to go on this trip. In fact, they were waiting for him because he was running late and everybody was in the bus ready to go. And he had to actually make a decision. Do I go or not? He said no. Well, this was like a huge weight that just lifted off of his shoulders when he said no. Now, he didn't stop rafting altogether, but rafting no longer had a pull on him that drew him away from God. And he was able to keep his focus on God. In fact, we did rafting trips to help pay for our wedding. Well, ladies, it was not the rafting that was sinful, was it? It was allowing our desires to take us out of God's will that it becomes the sin. So the secret is in constant control. These desires must be our servants and not our masters. Remember, we are only to serve one master, and that is Jesus Christ. He should be number one in our lives above any earthly desires that we have. Now, as long as we keep our eyes on Christ and not allow these desires around us to manipulate us, then and only then will we have victory over Satan. It is when we lose sight of this, ladies, that we get into trouble. Well, the next stage in the process of sin is deception. Now, you ever see a temptation that really appears as a temptation? No, it always seems more alluring, doesn't it, than it really is. In fact, James uses two illustrations in verse 14. Let's read that again. It says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now the word drawn away here carries with it the idea of baiting a trap. And enticed in the original Greek means to bait a hook. Now the best illustration for this when you think of bait and hook is the analogy of a fisherman luring the fish using a hook with bait, right? The idea is to hide that trap in the hook. Temptation, ladies, always carries with it some bait that appeals to our natural desires. Remember, Satan is the master deceiver. Now, the bait not only attracts us, but it also hides the fact 
that yielding to the desire will eventually bring sorrow and punishment. It is the bait that is exciting. It makes us keep our minds and keep us away from seeing the consequences of sin. Now to use the analogy of my husband and the rafting again, we can see that the bait that Satan used here was placing the idea of fun and excitement, you know, being outdoors and the challenge of each river that each one brings. Now, in and of itself, rafting is not sinful, but soon you find yourself going more and more, missing church, learning everything that you can about rafting, the rivers and the fulfillment that it brings. And pretty soon you find yourself consumed with that desire. Well, my husband and I also enjoy photography. And photography in itself is not sinful either. It just depends what you're doing with it. But Satan will use that desire to draw you away from God. This is when it becomes wrong. It is what you spend your time in, ladies, that shows where your heart is. If you are spending all your time in the hobby that you enjoy more than living your life to glorify God, then this is where Satan's deception comes into play. Now, you can have a hobby. That's not the problem. But if you use it for God's glory and not for your own personal gain, this is where it becomes secondary and not taking over your life. So at the end of the day, ladies, if you cannot say that there is one thing that counts for the glory of God, then it has been wasted. You cannot get that day back. It's been wasted and it will burn up at the judgment seat of Christ. If you find, ladies, that your hobby is pulling you away from God, then that is Satan luring you away so that you do not grow in your Christian walk. He doesn't want you to mature in your Christian walk. He doesn't want you getting that deeper, closer relationship with Jesus Christ. When you know the Bible, you can detect the bait and deal with it decisively. This is what it means by walking by faith and not by sight. When Satan tries to use scripture and twist it to say, oh, he doesn't mean this, this is what he's saying. No, you can say, no, that's not what scripture says because you know it. But you need to be in your word of God daily. You need to be communicating with God every day for you to be able to combat Satan and his lures. Remember, Satan is the master deceiver and he will seek to deceive your mind. Now, the bait that Satan used with Eve in the Garden of Eden was the fact that the forbidden tree was good and pleasant and that eating of it would make her wise. He appealed to her senses. She saw the bait, but ladies, she forgot the Lord's warning because all she was doing was looking at that lure, looking at that bait and seeing how good it looked. Genesis 2.17 says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This, ladies, is where the deception turned into our next stage in the process of sin of disobedience. Eve disobeyed God's command of not eating from the tree of knowledge. 
She saw the bait and she saw that that it was good and that Satan was just setting that to drag her down. As we see in Genesis 3, 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. And she also gave her husband with her, and he ate. Notice here, she took up the fruit and she ate it. She took the bait from Satan, didn't she? But notice that not only did she eat of the tree, but she what? She gave some to her husband Adam also, and he ate. You see, ladies, when you are not in God's will, you can bring those down around you too. We have to be very careful of how we are living because those around us will be affected too. We have taken the bait, hook, line, and sinker. So this, ladies, is why we need to be on our guard at all times. Satan is just waiting to lure us in. He is holding the fishing pole and with that hook and bait waiting for us to take it. And don't you doubt for a second that the minute you take it, he is going to reel it in as fast as he can. Well, using the analogy of the rafting with my husband, when he had a choice to go on this weekend trip with the largest rafting company in the world, it was a huge opportunity for him. But he turned and he said no, and he didn't go. It was as if a huge load was released off of him because, ladies, he knew it was luring him away from God and away from church. That day, ladies, he had victory over temptation. He followed the Holy Spirit's guidance and he turned down that trip. Now, does that mean he could never go on a weekend trip again? Absolutely not. But when it became a threat to pulling him away from God, that is when it became wrong. And so many times we act on feelings, don't we? And Satan knows that it is how he can trap us. We say sometimes like, oh, you know, I just don't feel like reading my Bible today. Or, I'm tired and I think I'll stay home from church. Well, Satan wants us to go by our feeling because he knows that he can steer us into the way in the direction that he wants us to go. Well, this is why so many immature Christians easily fall into temptation because they let their feelings make the decisions. So the more that you exercise your will of saying a decisive no to temptation, the more God will take control of your life. Ladies, the more you continue to say no, the more you are maturing in your Christian walk. The more you say no to Satan, the stronger you grow in Christ. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Well, the final stage of the process of sin is death, as we see here in verse 15. It says, Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then your sin of rejecting Jesus Christ will end in eternal death, as it says in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, and you will end up in the lake of fire. 
But if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Savior, ladies, you cannot lose your salvation as we have seen in the book of Ephesians. So here we are not talking about an eternal death. Okay, we are talking about what you call spiritual death, a separation from God. Meaning sin has a way when you give into it to cause a separation in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. Think about a marriage setting. When a husband and wife are having an argument, you can feel the tension in the air, right? You can be in the same room. You are still husband and wife. You still have that relationship. But there is a metaphorical wall that separates you from each other. As long as you are fueling this disagreement, that wall stays up between you and it hinders your relationship, right? The same thing happens with our relationship with God. As long as we are living in sin, our relationship with God is as if there is a wall between us. Once we confess our sins and turn away from them, then our relationship with God is restored. Just as a marriage between a husband and wife, and they begin to communicate and work out that disagreement, that wall begins to tear down, doesn't it? So our relationship is permanent, right? But our behavior is where it becomes a variable. So ladies, whenever you are faced with temptation, get your eyes off the bait and look ahead. And see the consequences of sin. The judgment of God. Destruction is always the end result of sin. While the believer does not lose his salvation, he can suffer great loss and ruin. So ladies, only God can give power and victory over sin. That centers in his son Jesus Christ. He can set you free from the desires of sin. Now for us as believers, there is also strength and power available from him. Let's look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can are able to bear. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Ladies, God is faithful and he will give us a way out. The second factor to consider in overcoming temptation is God's goodness. Let's look over to James chapter 1 verse 17. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, you think about it. One of Satan's tricks is to convince us that God doesn't love us. He will put thoughts into your head like, well, if God really loved you, he would not allow you to be going through this trial. Ladies, the goodness of God is a great barrier against yielding to temptation. We know that God in his goodness will meet all of our needs according to his will for our lives, right? But when Satan attacks, he tries to make us believe that our needs are not being met, that God does not love us. 
And once you start to doubt the goodness of God, then Satan will use this to lure you towards his bait. Remember Moses told the Israelites to remember God's goodness in Deuteronomy 6 when they went into the promised land. Well, verse 17 also says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. You know, sometimes the gifts that we receive may not always seem so good. In fact, when you look at Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10, he found a blessing in the gift of a thorn in the flesh. Now, the thorn in his flesh was given to him to keep him humble and not prideful. Remember, he was able to see a part of heaven. And he asked the Lord three times to take this from him. So you know that it was difficult to have. In fact, in the Greek, it says it's not just this little thorn, but it makes it sound as if it's a stake. It was huge. It was difficult. In fact, it says also that it wasn't that he asked three times all at one time. It wasn't like, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, take this from me. No, it was three separate occasions that he asked to have this taken from him. And yet God's response to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. God was giving him a way to endure the difficulty and that it was there for a reason and a purpose and that was to keep him humble and keep him from having pride. So God would use this thorn or stake in his flesh to keep him from being prideful. Therefore, this painful gift was a blessing. It was a good gift given for a perfect reason and purpose. So not always when we think of blessings Are they something that make us feel well or feel good? But sometimes it's a hard thing to go through. And sometimes we have pain or we have different things and different difficulties that we go through. But there is a reason and a purpose for them. And we have to keep that in mind. Now the verse goes on to say, And comes down from the Father of lights. Comes down is in a present participle. Meaning it keeps on coming down. God does not give occasionally, does he? He gives constantly. Even when we don't even see the gifts, he is sending them. So ladies, we should never, ever question God's love or doubt his goodness when difficulties come or temptations appear. You know, if King David had remembered the goodness of the Lord, he would not have taken Bathsheba and committed those terrible sins. But David took the bait that Satan provided. Joseph, on the other hand, he knew the goodness and he remembered the goodness of God in the midst of all his trials. And he fled the temptation of Pharaoh's wife in Genesis 39. So ladies, as you can see, we have a choice. You can either flee the temptation like Joseph did or you can succumb to it like David did. There is a way out and God always gives you that way. In fact, God's gifts are always better than Satan's bargains, aren't they? So the next time you are tempted, meditate on the goodness of God in your life. Never toy around with the devil's bait. It will snare you every time. The third fact to consider in overcoming temptation is God's divine nature within. 
Let's look at verse 18 of James chapter 1. It says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be kind of firstfruits of his creatures. James wrote to Jewish believers, and the word firstfruits would be meaningful to them. In fact, the Old Testament Jews brought the first fruits to the Lord as their expression of their devotion and obedience. In Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increases. Ladies, we share God's nature. For this reason, it is beneath our dignity to accept Satan's bait or even to desire sinful things. We have been given here three barriers against temptation. We are to look ahead and be aware of the judgment of God. And then we are to look around and see how good God has been to us. And then, ladies, we need to look within and realize that you have been born from above and possess divine nature. Ladies, your father is the king of kings and lord of lords, and you are his child. So the best way to overcome temptation is to be in the word of God daily, communicating with God daily. It is when we are developing our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, getting to know him and remembering all that he does for us, that we will be able to say with confidence, get behind me, Satan. I'll have no part of that. If the temptation attacks our thoughts, then we must push the wrong thoughts out of our mind and then begin to immediately focus our thoughts upon Christ and some passages of Scripture. If the temptation comes from some attraction to our senses through seeing, hearing, tasting, and touching, ladies, then turn away, turn your head, turn your body away and flee from that temptation. And then immediately we must focus upon Jesus Christ in prayer and review some scripture messages. So, I don't want to hear any more excuses like, oh, I couldn't help it. Or, everybody's doing it. Well, I just made a mistake. And nobody's perfect. Excuses like, the devil made me do it. Or, I was pressured into it. Ladies, a person who makes excuses is just trying to shift the blame from himself or herself. And sometimes we're just trying to put it off onto somebody else. A Christian, on the other hand, accepts the responsibility for his or her wrongs. They confess them and ask God for forgiveness. Ladies, you have a God that is faithful and says that he will forgive you. So, ladies, we can overcome temptation. And the key to this is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, ladies, I have enjoyed studying God's Word with you. And I look forward to next week as we finish up Chapter 1 of James. Until then, God bless.